Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to C4C Apologetics. I am your host, Danny, and today we're doing another interview. It just seems like uh, I've been doing a lot of interviews lately, and and I really enjoy interviews. I like talking to people, uh, you know, and we're going to be talking to this individual here right now. I've got to know him over the course of the past few months, and uh, it's just something as far as the ministry, the C4C is not about me. It's about us trying to get biblical information out to a world that needs to hear this information and hear the truth. And so today I have with me a good friend. Like I said, I've met him a few months back as far as uh, Facebook groups, things like that. been following his channel. I'm going to let him talk a little bit about that. But it's my friend Sean Wilson out there in Louisiana. Sean, thank you for being here today. Could you go ahead and yeah, give no, a- thank you so much for having me, Danny. I'm I'm delighted to be here. Um, yeah, I pastor a church in River Ridge, Louisiana. We're right in the New Orleans uh, area. And so we've, we've been enjoying that. We've been there for about seven years. And then for the last two years, I've been reviewing books online. And so uh, through the Rev Reads YouTube channel. And so if anybody wants uh, book reviews from a free grace perspective, uh, that's what I'm trying to, to deliver on YouTube. So you've only done Rev Reads for like two years, huh? Yeah. How many books have you reviewed in that period? I mean, I have about 220 videos, but that's, they're not all reviews. So some of them are like recaps from the year. Yeah. Uh, I did a video on, you know, like how to read better, how to read more often. I'd guess probably 150 of them are reviews. Wow, 150. Oh. And I haven't even read 150 books in <laughs> probably a decade. So I feel pretty shameful right now. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. But uh, and the thing I love about Reveries is the fact that you, you'll do a book review on almost any book that has theological material in it. it. It's not like you're trying to prove a case theologically. You're just doing an honest, open review from what I've seen. Is that accurate? I'm... <laughs> I, I, one of the reasons I started it was because I like to read and I felt like the the type of books I want to read, I can't find a lot of people around me that are into those books. Like, like there's a lot of people all around the world, but as right. far as, you know, nearby, there's only so many people who are into theological books. So I'm basically just reading the books I want to read and then talking about them on YouTube. So okay. I try to tell everybody my favorite part of the book, what I big thing I did like, big thing I didn't like, but I try to keep them short because I don't want to read the book for you and tell you <laughs> yeah. all about the book. I want to read it enough. I want to explain it enough to pique your interest. So you will want to read it. That's no, that's goal. good. And I appreciate you reviewing that one book uh, on depression is a book that we got. Oh, yeah. and me and my wife have been reading through it. And, and I agree with your review on there that it, it, it seems like it's more for those that want to understand depression as yeah. opposed to those that are actually battling through it. Uh, but there's a lot of good information, but some of the chapters I've had to like cross out, you know, and, and uh, whatever the case is. But so today we're talking about theological labels. And because of that, I wore my label. So are you a soccer fan, Sean? <laughs> Do you watch soccer? Not too much of one. Not, not, no, okay. no, I don't. I don't. I baseball is uh baseball is my sport. Oh man. I watch yeah. that when I want to go to sleep. i watch it when i want to go to sleep too (laughs) but i I wore my manchester city label if you will uh they're one of the best teams in the english premier soccer league over there in uh, europe but basically lately i had to change teams because they're just too good they always win the championships and so i switched over to arsenal but i wore this specifically because we're talking about labels 
And so what I want to ask you, and most of these questions have to do, well, really all of them with labels. I have a few questions written down like I normally do is, all right, so within theology, do you believe labels are a good thing? Should we be identified by a label? What are your thoughts? Labels are two-edged swords. They're mm -hmm. good and they're awful all at the same time. If labels are prescriptive, they're really bad and they're harmful. Prescriptive labels means that they're telling you what you should believe. And so if usually you'll find these with confessional churches, uh, Roman Catholicism as a prescriptive label church. So this is a church that's going to come and say, here's what we believe. Here's our doctrinal statement. Here's our confessional statement. Mm -hmm. And you need to align with our label and with our statement. So, so if a label's prescriptive, if it's telling you what to believe, it's it's bad. It's it's not good. Yeah. On the other hand, there's descriptive labels. And descriptive labels are me just simply telling you, here's what I've discovered and here's what I believe the Bible teaches. Mm -hmm. And I think descriptive labels are helpful. I think it's helpful to begin a conversation with someone to know, you know, here's where I'm coming from. I'm someone who believes in a literal thousand year reign of Christ on earth, and he's going to return and establish his kingdom. And so when I read the Old Testament and I read about those prophecies of the Messiah, I'm looking forward to a physical kingdom. And I would also like to know if somebody believes that the physical kingdom isn't going to come, that it, it's not going to happen, that they're amillennial or post-millennial, and they're not going to occur that way. I would like to know going into it that they have that label. So when they look at those same passages in the Old Testament, I'll know they're looking for that from that from that perspective. So if a label's descriptive, if it's just saying, here's what I've discovered and here's what I've believed, it's mm -hmm. good. If it's prescriptive and it's saying, here's what you need to believe, it's bad. With a descriptive label, you're saying, I'm willing to change my label. If you show me in the Bible where my label's wrong, yeah. I'll change it. But prescriptive labels are where you're coming to the scriptures with a lens on yeah. and you're allowing that lens to interpret scripture. So like James White is someone who's very prescriptive label in the Calvinist movement. Mm -hmm. And so he will tell the people who listen to him and read his material, you need to have presuppositions when you approach the text. So you need to have established boundaries and, and theological worldviews when you begin to read your Bible so you can read your Bible properly. And so that's a prescriptive label approach. But yeah. a descriptive person would say, here's what I've discovered from the word, but every time I'm going to go to the Bible, if I see something that says, Sean, your descriptive label's bad. I'm going to need to go back and change that label. So yeah. they're good for communication, bad for teaching. Oh, that's an excellent point right there. When you were brought up the whole aspect of presuppositions and whatnot, you know, understand every single person, we all have presuppositions. I mean, just the fact that we have experience in life, we carry yeah. a presupposition and a preconceived bias, if you will. But yeah, the problem always comes when we refuse to challenge our own presupposition. And it's not that we should change scripture, but that scripture should change us. And that's all that's internally with the heart, but it's also mentally with what we believe scripture is saying when we're challenged. And so, no, I thought that was excellent. Descriptive, prescriptive. I, I've heard that used within scripture that you have descriptive passages and prescriptive passages and it helps understand and discern what one should do or one should just understand. And so oh, I love that. 
okay so as far as free grace theology is concerned so uh, a lot of people reformers they'll believe in sola fide they'll believe that it's just faith alone and their faith alone is different from what free grace theology advocates would argue that it's strictly faith alone and it's free no strings attached because it's only by grace through faith are we saved but yet those are the reformed persuasion and some other people while they'll hold to sola fide it sort of doesn't align with free grace because their understanding isn't free and so yeah all that to say what do you what are your thoughts on the free grace label as free grace theology would hold it do you think it should change you like it what are your thoughts I know there's people in the free grace movement who do not like it and who wanted to change it. Like to, to biblical grace, I've heard a genuine grace, hmm. uh, a couple other ones that have been floated out there, but I like free grace. Mm -hmm. I like the redundancy in it because hmm. you, I, I think the, the beauty of free grace is that you shouldn't need to say it. You should just say grace and people should understand, oh, it's a gift. It is given without merit. It is God giving us more than we deserve. Like I like to even think of, of grace in regards to rewards. Like when God will reward us, it will even be gracious in rewards. It'll be above what we deserve. And so uh, grace always has that, that free idea kind of built into it with giving more than we deserve. And the fact that you need to have a group of people come back and say, hey, maybe we need to call our grace free grace because these people aren't practicing free grace. Yeah. Um, they're not giving away their grace for free. I think it emphasizes not only what the free grace community believes, but I think it also highlights how other faith communities, mm -hmm. other denominations of Christianity aren't using grace, how it's used primarily in scripture, especially when it comes to salvation. Okay. For them, grace isn't always free. Grace is contingent upon, you know, obedience grace is contingent upon christ being your lord and you right. following him in submission you know grace is contingent upon church attendance or whatever it may be and so people have lots of strings that they attach to grace and i think it's it's good and healthy to have a group that come back and say no it, it should be free so i i'm somebody who actually i really like the label yeah you know you make a good point as far as that's concerned and what when you think of the terminology biblical grace I would only wonder because, I mean, I believe there are some reformers, some Calvinists, you know, that are that are Christians. You know, they're just believing a skewed doctrine at some point in time uh, through their faith in calling it maybe biblical grace, maybe kind of divisive uh, when we're trying to go ahead and reach people like that. Because maybe it's the fact on it's like we're saying, no, what you believe isn't biblical. And OK, that's rightfully so. You know, that is rightfully so. But to go ahead and have open dialogue and discussion, not to try to just poke them in the eye right away, but to go ahead and try to have this uh, peaceful, gracious discussion. You know, I've looked at the fact of biblical grace being possibly a divisive word, if you will, when we're trying to reach people, just having discussions. I don't know. what. Am I off on that? What are your thoughts? I, no, I, I, I kind of think the problem with biblical grace is I don't think it means anything. Yeah. Uh, because... Anybody who follows the Bible will say whatever they believe is biblical, whether it is or not. Yeah. And so to add biblical on in the context of Christianity doesn't mean anything. I was recently just talking to somebody about faith 
and about how faith is, it is being persuaded that something's true, having the right knowledge about who Jesus is, being assured that Jesus will fulfill his promises, and then, you know, trusting in what Jesus does. So it's the idea of, of resting upon Christ. That's the word that I like to use as my synonym for belief of, of resting in Jesus in the context okay. of salvation. And somebody told me that uh, faith includes all this other obedient stuff in the Bible. And I'm like, Actually, if you look at how faith is used, it doesn't include all those obedience things. And then, and the person's response was, no, my view of faith is just the biblical view, which really is his way of just saying, it's my view. It's the correct view. He didn't mean I have these biblical passages lined up that prove my point on faith. He's just saying, I believe in the Bible. And so biblical faith is correct. And that's mine. So I almost think it's a, it's an adjective every person would claim. No matter what it, group you're in, you'd say, I have biblical faith or biblical grace. I could definitely see that. And the fact that it's a word that really just doesn't seem to carry much meaning anymore, you know, and lack of better words. When we want to throw How many people are getting back grace. into the Bible? Yeah. So how many people are getting back in the Bible to look through these words and all exactly. their uses? Yeah. They're just not. Well, <clears throat> going on with labels, I want to talk about acronyms. Now, there's quite a few people uh, that are very familiar with the acronym tulip and so uh just briefly could you explain who holds the tulip view and what does tulip stand for just briefly because i got some other acronyms i want to talk about as well that may be unfamiliar with a lot of people and so tulip what is it is it biblical what are your thoughts easily the most uh, famous acronym in the church is tulip it is the acronym for calvinism uh it is the the acronym of all acronyms. It is the one that everybody aspires to have one as famous and as well-known as TULIP. Uh, TULIP is total depravity or total inability. Uh, Basically the idea that we are all sinful at birth and everything that a person would do from birth until conversion is in some way tainted by sin. So even if a man were to go and and rescue a stranger from a burning building, because he's not rescuing that stranger for the glory of God, that action is sinful. So everything's depraved. And then along with that line of total depravity is an inability to believe in the gospel of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. This is someone who cannot believe that Jesus Christ is their savior. And I would then say that makes total depravity, then makes the gospel ridiculous. Um, cause if you can't believe in it, if it is something that is so, I guess, out there that people can't understand it at all, you're just making it ridiculous. So it really diminishes faith and the logical truth that God presents in faith in Christ mm-hmm. by saying you can't even believe it. Uh, second is unconditional election. So we're spelling out tulip T U U is unconditional election. And this is the idea that since we are incapable of believing, The people who believe God must have picked them in eternity past and selected them for salvation. And because of God's election, he is going to ensure that they will believe. So that means all who will eventually believe only believe because they were elected in eternity past. So this is God choosing from before the foundation of the earth who will believe and who will not believe. So they usually go to Ephesians uh, chapter one, verse four for that. And so the idea that we're elect in him uh, before the foundation of the earth. And this is another one that to me just, I'm going to make this point for all of these, but they just belittle faith in Jesus Christ. 
Mm-hmm. because are you telling me and Calvinism are Calvinists are telling you that God is electing people outside of faith in Jesus Christ, because what's the one condition that a Calvinist will make sure everyone in the church knows is not a condition for election. They're going to highlight. It's the condition of faith. God yeah. did not look and foresee faith. He did not elect you based on that faith. So it's saying that when God elects people to salvation, he is doing it regardless of faith in Jesus Christ. Hmm. And I see that as borderline blasphemy uh, because outside of faith in Christ, there's no salvation. And so unconditional election is specifically saying God's electing people to salvation without the condition of faith. And then we have limited atonement. That's the L T U L and uh, feel free to interrupt me at any point you want to, as I'm going through these, but limited atonement is Jesus only died for those elect. He did not die for the world. Uh, He did not die so that whosoever will believe in him can have eternal life. Uh, He only died for the elect. And again, this uh, just belittles faith. It belittles faith in Christ again, because what a limited atonement says is you can believe in Jesus. You can have faith in Jesus. But if you're not one of the elect, it doesn't matter. It's not real faith. It's not saving faith. And so Calvin talked about specific types of faith that don't result in salvation because it's not uh, the faith that comes to the elect. John MacArthur, even today, he will talk about how there are people in the church who have man-generated faith. So you can have faith that comes from man and believe in Jesus, but that faith will inevitably fail in trials, and only faith given by God will survive till the end. So MacArthur will will have a difference between two types of faith, man-generated faith and God-given faith. And so lim- and because if Jesus didn't die for you, it doesn't matter if you believed in him. So again, limited atonement is saying that you can believe in Jesus and not be saved because God did not send Jesus to die for you. And then we have the eye of irresistible grace. And this is the idea of the fact that when God sends his grace to someone so that they will believe, they will inevitably believe, they must believe. Uh, this is the idea of the effectual call. Uh, there is a specific call just given to people who are elected and they will believe. And so this also has the idea of regeneration before faith. So God will give grace to allow people to be born again. And then once they're born again, they're able to put their faith in Jesus Christ, which again minimizes faith in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how you can say you're born again without faith in Christ and not saying that that's minimizing faith in Christ. It's turning faith in Christ into a footnote in the plan of salvation because you were born again before you believed in Jesus. God just decided at some point in your life, boom, this is your moment. This is your effectual call. And that's when you're going to be born again. And again, so it makes faith in Christ not all that important. And then the last of Tulip, the P, perseverance of the saints. Uh, This is the idea that since God is determining all things, he's going to determine that those who are elect will continue to produce good works, observable, obvious, clear good works from the moment they believe until the moment they die, because God determines all things. So of course, he's going to determine that you persevere in good works. And again, this minimizes faith in Christ because it tells us that faith in Jesus isn't enough. You need faith plus perseverance. You put those two together and then you'll be able to have final salvation as Piper and others call it, which again is showing 
faith in Jesus isn't enough. So TULIP is the acronym for Calvinism. So it's saying this is what they believe. And it's really all done to build up one thing. And that is determinism. God determining from eternity past who will be saved, who won't be saved. And if your salvation is based on determinism or election, then what is it not based on? Faith mm. in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So then every point along the line, it'll all be brought up to say total depravity means you can't believe. Unconditional election means that um, you'll be chosen without faith in Jesus Christ. Limited atonement means that you could believe and not be saved. Irresistible grace means you'll be born again before you believe. And perseverance of the saints means that if you believe, you need more in order to finally be saved. And so Calvinism is really just the belief of determinism of, I think, Roman pagan fatalism, given hmm. terms of Christianity. Yeah, no, I I like that. Very clear in the fact. But, uh, you know, when I first started cal studying Calvinism, I looked the whole aspect of their view on total depravity and really looking at the inability aspect of it. I mean, I could never reconcile the fact on when John Baptist sees Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world, not the elect, the world. Yeah. And then Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 32, I think it is when I'm lifted up the cross, I'll draw all men to myself or uh, passages where it says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come uh, to repent yeah. saving faith, if you will. When I think of Calvinist uh, total inability doctrine, does that not make God a liar then as well when Jesus is making this false uh, request saying, hey, if you come unto me, I will give you rest. But yet the Calvinist Jesus would know he didn't elect yep. them, so he can't give yeah. them rest. So he's making a bogus uh, uh, you know, request, if you will. And it turns out to make God and Jesus a liar. I mean, that was one of my biggest hangups with that. Yeah, I agree. No, that is the biggest, the biggest separation between the two of those is it just makes God out to, to be un, untruthful. Uh, he's saying things that are, you know, you just, you could never do. Uh, I like the way Leighton Flowers illustrates it. It's like as if God is giving an offer in Spanish at a school where everybody only speaks English and knowing that none of them could speak English. And so none of them will have any possibility, but then thinking that, because he spoke in English that they could legitimately respond to them. It's just, it's not a legitimate, legitimate offer if people can't understand it. No, definitely. Definitely. Well, what, what a lot of people see that they either see if you're not Calvinist, you're Arminius, right? Oh yeah. And so what, again, labels, what do our Arminians is Daisy, right? They have a Daisy acronym. Yeah, I know. I looked this up. It's, it's nuts. So can you explain Daisy? Yeah. So, um, so Arminian Arminianism, in my opinion, is it is a, it's another branch of Calvinism. There's enough that Arminianism is based off of that. I see it as a, a different flavor of Calvinism. And I think that when you look at their Daisy, you can see how some of the stuff is, is pretty close in the way that it operates, mm -hmm. uh, that it's still fits into that Calvinist worldview. I mean, Arminian, Arminian thought he was a good Calvinist. Mm. Like, I mean, he was debating because he's like, I need to get us back to Calvin's 
true teachings. Like that was what his goal yeah. was. Okay. And so, and I think there's some doctrines in Arminianism that are, are a little bit closer to Calvin than what you see in a lot of Calvinists mm-hmm. today. So it's interesting, yeah. but they're Daisy. Like I, I honestly, I'd never heard it before until you sent me this question. And then after reading it, I'm like, Oh, no wonder I've never heard of it. This might be the worst acronym I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> so I give it to him for trying to do another flower that is the opposite of tulip, but it's a bad one. And I can see why nobody talks about it because some of these, I had to like look up in dictionaries to figure out if these words had meanings that would fit with what they're talking about. Yeah. So we'll go through it, but uh, this, this is a terrible acronym. So Daisy, uh, diminished depravity diminished depravity so we're still depraved so it still has calvinism's original sin original guilt which would trace back to augustine the only difference is that man has the ability to believe the gospel so they would have the same view as calvinists have regarding like probably a good way to illustrate how i think far-fetched calvinism is in their view of depravity and arminianism is mm-hmm. is if you look at their views of infants like, I don't know about you, but when my babies were born, I was like, oh, I can't believe I got these kids. Like, they're, you know, wonderful, loved all four <laughs> of my babies. Uh, Vody Bakum will talk about how va- babies are vipers and diapers. I mean, they'll talk about how it's a good thing your babies are cute, because if they weren't cute, you would kill them because they're so terrible. Oh, wow. <laughs> and how babies are selfish and how if they had a chance, they would destroy you. So there's a lot of babies are awful conversations in Calvinism because they believe that they're. Well, would they're you depraved. not? Would you would you agree that babies are somewhat you can see it as selfish because they're always whining. They're always crying. <laughs> babies, I want my pacifier. No. I, I agree that babies are babies are selfish, but on the other hand, they're communicating in the only they way they got to communicate. So vipers they're, just, they're saying they're hungry, and that's the only way they have to say it. Vipers um, and diapers. Oh man, I didn't catch that from Vody. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. What were you saying? No, no, it's fine. Yeah. So, so, so they see men as totally depraved. Like I said, everything we do is sinful, um, no matter why you do it or what your reasoning is, until you get saved. Uh, you cannot do a single thing that is in any way good, which I think there's a lot of passages in the Bible which show that that's not true. Uh, we're not sinners because every single thing we do is depraved, but because we're not holy and God's holy. We're sinners. Right. Um, but the Arminians are diminished depravity. So we still have depravity, but the one thing they change is total inability. You can believe the gospel. So we still have that capacity to say, oh, the gospel's logical and I believe it, which totally is true. Like, I don't know how the Calvinists ever got to the point where they could say, you can't believe the gospel. It is a pretty simple thing. Like, I believe all my kids were saved at very young ages because they could get it. Like they sinned and Jesus took their punishment. Like it's not just the aspect of the Calvinists are so afraid that mankind can say, Hey, I did something for salvation. All the, as opposed to Jesus saying, the only work is, is that you believe on, you know, him who he sent. And so that's the only work is the work of belief, but, and it is the only work according to scripture that stops right. us from boasting faith, yes. faith makes us not boast. That's what we see in Ephesians and in Romans that uh, it, it ceases the boasting. Yep. But that's a, another topic for another yeah. time. So diminished depravity, you can believe, but you're depraved. Uh, abrogated election, 
this is the most common view of election by the early church fathers. Mm -hmm. And that is God was able to look into the future. Not, not, not God looks into the future, but God just knows all the future. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so he knows it all the time. And so he knows who will believe and who will not believe. And God elects those who believe. So this is God electing in eternity past. I'm going to save, you know, Mark and Ralph and and Danny and Crystal and Sharon, because I know they will believe. So this is God making a election before the foundation of the earth, because he knows who will believe and who won't believe. Uh, I take the view that God election isn't even people, uh, but God is electing a, a plan. He's electing a way. God is is choosing that whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. And so we see that in him. Ephesians one, the election that yeah. those that believe are elected to be adoption. Yeah. You know that it's yeah. a position, if you will, of place. Yeah. So, but go on. Yeah, so. So, but so then, so you can see how Arminianism is still close to Calvinism. It still has that same election. It just shifts to really what Arminians are doing. And I'm just thinking about this right now for the first time this moment. What they're doing is they're just trying to bring the importance of faith back. Mm. So they have the same depravity, but now you can believe. They have the same election, but now it is based on faith. Uh, and then their I is impersonal atonement. Oh, I, I should say again, abrogated election. Um, the word abrogate means to do away with. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about what they're saying is they're saying do away with election, but their point <laughs> is still that we're elected. So it's like, they're, they're obviously just picking these letters because they go together. Next is impersonal <laughs> atonement. Um, impersonal atonement. This just means he's dying for everybody. So it's not individual persons, but he's just dying for the whole world. Uh, so, and a lot of, um, a lot of Arminius have that idea of, of corporate election as well, that uh, we're chosen in Christ. I meant to say that in abrogated election. Uh, Jesus is the elect one, and those who are in Christ are elected. I meant to say that earlier. Uh, but impersonal atonement, so Jesus died, not for specific persons, but for the whole world. So back to the you know Lamb of God, which we just said, John yeah. the Baptist said, uh, for the whole world. So impersonal election, whole world. And this is the one that I loved that I had to be like, uh -oh. oh, what do they mean by this? <laughs> sedentary grace. Sedentary. So the S of Daisy, sedentary grace. So I had to look it up in a dictionary. The word sedentary at one time could mean ineffective. Ineffective grace. And that's ineffective. And that's what they're going for. And they're not saying that grace is ineffective, but that it can be ineffective. So in other words, God would, God would give you the grace of hearing the gospel, but you reject the gospel and then you're not saved. So Jesus is drawing all the world to himself. But if you're like, ah, Jesus, I don't want to believe in you and trust in you. That means that grace can be ineffective. So, but I love how it's sedentary mm. grace. Nowadays, so, that means I'm sitting on the couch all the time and not doing anything. <laughs> um, but the word used to have a meaning of ineffective. Yeah. And so they're going for ineffective grace. But again, that's also not good for your acronym because they're not saying grace is ineffective. Uh, yeah. They're saying it can be for certain individuals. They're just trying to spell a word. They don't want to spell like dicka dicka or something yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I I think also it had to be a flower. That was probably their other thing. It's got to be a flower. With why can't five they letters. Pick, why can't they pick Snapdragon? That's a cool flower. <laughs> <laughs> too many letters. Too many letters. They, had, they needed the five letters. 
I guess so. That really narrows them down and then forces yeah. them to do this ridiculous thing no one will remember. Because I'm <laughs> going to go through all this on here, Danny, and no one's going to remember what Daisy is afterwards. Yeah. All they're going to remember is that Arminians have a bad act. They're not going to remember <laughs> any of it. Uh, the last one is yielded justification. Yielded justification. And that means you are only justified if you continue to remain yielded to God. So this is this is just modern day lordship salvation with different terminology so if you don't stay in your yielding and submission to god that means that you forsake your justification Hmm. so uh and so while calvinists would say and and it's actually the same thing as calvinism Mm -hmm. we need to understand it is the same exact thing because the calvinist if if somebody is in church says, you know what? I see this beautiful woman living across the street. I'm Mm going to leave my family. I'm going to go live with that lady across the street. And I'm going to abandon my church that I can go and and live a life of sin with her. So he does that. A Calvinist would look at that person and say, because you didn't persevere, that means you you were never saved to begin with. Mm -hmm. The Arminianist will look at that same person and say, well, because you're not yielding to God's grace, you are forsaking your salvation. So they're both saying the same thing mm-hmm. that they're losing your salvation. One group will say they never had it. One person will say uh they always they had it and then they lost it. Um I should have realized how ridiculous this was back when I was a Calvinist. Mm-hmm. I was a Calvinist and I was pastoring my church in New York and I had this couple who came to my church for like probably like 3 months mm-hmm. and they were like hardcore Arminianists. Okay. And then they finally realized because of a sermon that I was a Calvinist. So I try not to leave the labels on my sleeve and stuff right. even back then. And so they finally realized I was a Calvinist and they came to me and they're like, we got to leave the church. So then I went and talked to them at their house. Yeah. And I remember at one point in the conversation saying, you got to understand, we believe the same thing. You just believe you'll lose salvation that you had. I believe you never had it, but it's the same basic thing. We both believe in the importance of works that you need to have to add to your faith. Wow. And so I should have seen the the logical inconnections from that at that point, but I was too blind to my presuppositions at that moment to catch it. But yeah. but yeah, you know, the big thing, I think if you really dig into the acronym of Arminianism, you end up seeing it's just another branch of Calvinism. So it's funny that they chew at each other and get at each other so much. <laughs> and the biggest insult of a Calvinist is to call them an Arminianist when it's like, you two are so close together. <laughs> You're like cousins. <laughs> oh, that, that's good. Yeah. And, and the explanation on Daisy, like I said, I mean, like I said, Snapdragon is a pretty cool look of flower. Maybe it's too long, you know, but uh, maybe there's some other cool flowers. I don't know, but uh, more on that later, I guess. Uh I do want to talk about, you mentioned Leighton. I do want to talk about Dr. Leighton Flowers on Soteriology 101. He's been using, or for a while, he has this concept. I don't know if it's unique with him, but it's where I first heard of it before. Uh, provisionism. Uh, what is provisionism? And is that biblical? What, what are your thoughts? So I'm a big Leighton Flowers fan. Okay. Uh, I, yeah. just, I just want to put that out to the beginning. Um, uh-huh. I've I've interviewed him on my channel a couple of times. Mm-hmm. He is he is one of the nicest guys. So just yeah. as far as somebody with good godly character, uh, he is just humble, down to earth, 
like the the nicest person Leighton is 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 wonderful seeing some debates he's done he does really seem to be very friendly very gracious yeah. and not back talking or doesn't do a post show and, and talk about the and so i do appreciate that character of him for sure yeah no so he's a he's a good guy and yeah. him and i believe i believe it was stephen hankins if i have the right name um okay. who's another southern baptist uh the two of them together sort of coined all the stuff with provisionism mm -hmm. and basically provisionism has two main points to it sort of Calvinism has its five pillars mm -hmm. and I think provisionism really has two. Now they have in their provide acronym, which we'll go over in a minute that has more points to it. Okay. But when Leighton himself explained provisionism, it's basically two, two main issues to what makes someone a provisionist. And I think if you can hold to either of these, you belong under the big umbrella of provisionism, mm -hmm. even if you don't agree with everybody in the movement. So I think there's a lot of people who are provisionists, even if they don't understand that they are. So the first thing of provisionism is that God provides the means for all people to be saved, mm -hmm. which mean, you know, Jesus is the lamb of God for all the world. Whoever believes can be saved. So God has, has opened the door as broad as every person who has ever lived to possibly be saved. But when he says that he provides the means, he doesn't mean he provides uh, the grace, that effectual calling as well. Just no, no. So what, so what I mean is, is it's it's broad for anybody possible to come in. So God mm -hmm. does not prevent anyone to come, mm -hmm. but everyone needs to come through the narrow gate of Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah. So any person could be saved. God has provided the atonement in christ he's provided the life in christ but you need to believe in jesus yourself in order to be saved mm -hmm. so there's no one because of what god has done that cannot be saved anyone right. could be saved based on what god has provided mm -hmm. the question is will you receive that provision right. and we receive that provision through faith in jesus christ right so so his first thing is no one will be able to stand before God and say, you know, you didn't give me an opportunity, God. Right. God will say, I gave everybody an opportunity because Jesus was a lamb of God for the whole world. Mm -hmm. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't just thinking of specific people who'd be resurrected. Anybody can have it. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Anybody can be saved. The second is all people are responsible for their sin and for their unbelief okay so god no one is born in a fixed position where they must be an unbeliever until they die okay anyone can look at the glory of christ they can hear the truth of the gospel i mean we, we paul tells us in romans uh chapter 10 faith comes by hearing mm -hmm. so any person can give the gospel a fear a fair hearing and believe it and come to faith. So we're right. all responsible of the fact that we are, um, we chose to reject the gospel for whatever reasons. I think there's, you know, we come up with, you know, a thousand reasons right. why people don't believe, but we're going to be responsible for that in the end. And also we're responsible for our own sin. I don't sin. You don't sin. Our kids don't sin because they need to sin by requirement. Mm -hmm. But every time somebody sins, they could do something good, but they chose instead to do the evil. Now, is that uh, there's still an aspect of a sin nature 
the whole aspect of flesh and, and spiritual. I don't, I don't know specifically how Layton gets into that in the yeah. weeds. My guess okay. based yeah, on yeah. what he would say, and this is just my guess mm-hmm. is that yeah. he would see a weakening. Like we have a, we have a propensity to sin, but not a necessity to sin. Right. Okay. Like, yeah. like my children are, my children are more likely to act like me mm-hmm. because they're my kids and they have half of my DNA is their DNA. Yeah. So they're more likely to follow in the stupid things that I do. Uh-oh. And they do that sometimes, <laughs> which like my, my son, my son goes through these mopey seasons where he's just, yeah. you know, really depressive and stuff. And it's like, my wife's like, he's you, <laughs> I can see it. He's you. Ain't so that the he life a of a pastor though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he has a propensity to be like me, but he doesn't need to be that way. Like he doesn't yeah. have to give into that. So I, I, I would assume that Leighton follows the weak in nature propensity to sin, but not a requirement to sin. Yeah, from whenever I've heard Leighton or other people talk about it or I'm reading about provisionism, it it seems like I would adhere to it and that I don't find anything necessarily inherently wrong within the theology or the teaching yeah. itself. I, I do ag- appreciate how he uh, explains that election has nothing to do with soteriology or, or justification and the yeah. fact that election has to do with a, a, a an office, a, a service, if you will, a, a, a calling, if you will, but not to justification. But uh, okay, so you mentioned it. His provide acronym. Since we're talking Which about labels, this is, this is again. This is this is not that great of an acronym because okay. for for one, are you uh, saying do... that? Are you saying Calvinism have the best label? Uh, yeah, probably. I'm even. I'm, I'm going to give you my label of free grace, and I'm still going to be like, yeah, it's not as good as the Cal. That's why Calvinism gets so many people because their label's so good. Well, I what are we doing why- here talking? We need to figure out a label, man. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, but no, one of the things I don't overly love about Cal- about Layton's label is that mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of people in provisionism that aren't don't fit the label. Okay. Because because there's two main pillars. God provides, man's responsible. And a lot mm-hmm. of people fit under that. And so they, they belong under provisionism. Like, well, when I personally asked Leighton, you know, what's provisionism? He gave me those two things. He didn't tell right. me provide. So that's one reason I'm not a huge fan of it, because I think there's enough people in it that don't um, that don't follow all of provide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so here's provide. P is people sent. And their people okay. sin is a denial of original guilt. And we've just got done talking about that. Uh, you're not required to sin, uh, but you have a propensity to sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also the idea that if you're an unbeliever, you can do good things. Like you are capable of doing good things in good such. So just a couple of weeks ago, I preached on this where Abraham uh, was went to Gerar and he uh lied about sarah his wife and he's like she's my sister abimelech took her in as his wife and god came to abimelech in a dream and he said god said abimelech don't sleep with this man and abimelech said i'm pure in this and i'm right because he didn't sleep with abraham's wife and because he didn't take her knowing that she was a married woman Mm -hmm. so from god's perspective and the perspective of the inspired word abimelech taking sarah as his wife was a good, not a sinful action. Mm. So a man gets married to a woman. They're two unbelievers. I want them to get married before they have kids. I want mm. them to get married before they live together. That's a good thing. Yeah. So everything that a person does is not sin, but people mm-hmm. do sin 
It's just not required because of depravity. So okay. this is a yeah. this is a denial of both diminished depravity and total depravity. So this okay. is saying people sin because we have weakened natures and we do bad things. Right. Uh, second is responsible. Again, we already talked about that because that's one of the two main main pillars. Right. You're responsible for your own sin. You're and the bigger one is not you're responsible for your own sin, but you're responsible for your own unbelief. That's what you're so, saying. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't believe in Jesus, and I, I to me that's that is the thing that separates the condemned from the righteous is right. you don't believe. And so you're responsible if you don't. I believe. mean, that's what Jesus said to Mary and Martha with Lazarus. And he says, do you believe this? You know, I'm the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though we were dead, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? And, and it's all like, about, yeah, the you belief. know, I do. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. Okay. So, so we're responsible for our unbelief. Nobody's stuck in that state. Right. Third is open door. So that's the idea of, unlimited atonement anybody can believe we're all that's pretty similar to the impersonal atonement of arminians um anybody who believes in universal atonement that's the open door anybody anybody can believe so jesus's death was sufficient uh to um so anybody anybody can believe and i'm skipping on to the next one because they're so overlapping the next one is vicarious atonement which is vicarious atonement means that jesus's death is sufficient to cover all the sins of the world, but is only efficient. It only provides a way for those who are saved based upon faith in Christ. Okay. So yeah. Jesus provides that atonement for the whole world. Uh, we all are able to come before God to the open door because of the atonement, but the atonement only provides us with the covering if we believe. So right. vicarious atonement, atonement for all. Uh, so that takes us to the P-R-O-V, and then the I is mm-hmm. illuminating grace. Illuminating grace means God has provided enough grace. God's given enough illumination for everyone to believe in the gospel. So I think this goes to the all ex- all are without excuse in Romans 1. Mm-hmm. Like anybody can look and see that God has made this world and it is so spectacular. So clearly there's a God, clearly we do things that wrong them. And I'm of the opinion that if someone believes in that general revelation, God will provide a way for them to hear the special revelation. Cornelius principle is what I, you know, so yeah, exactly. Creation and consciousness. Yeah. So this is the idea. God provides enough grace for, for Mm -hmm. anybody to believe. So all All of you know, the preaching of the gospel, it's, it's enough for anybody to believe. So mm-hmm. uh, he gives truth. And if you respond to that truth and faith, God will provide, provide more truth. So like with Cornelius, so illuminating grace. D is destroyed. And I really destroyed. want to talk to Leighton about this one, what he means by this, uh, because it's really not specific in what they write on the provisionism documents. Uh, for destroyed, they say this is God's judgment on sinners who don't believe. So based on the description, it could be hell as in annihilation or hell as an eternal conscious torment. Right. Mm-hmm. So it could be either one based upon the language, although destroyed leans toward annihilation. Guys, yeah. Because you hear that and you think, oh, they must mean annihilation. But if you look at the descriptions of it, it doesn't promote that anywhere. And huh. so my guess is... And this is my feeling based upon being on the provisionism discussion boards is the last two points, especially provide the D and the E. There are mm-hmm. lots of people who are on 
two different sides of this issue. Okay. So yeah. there are annihilation people in provisionism and there are eternal conscious torment people in provisionism. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you understand what provisionism is, obviously they can both fit right. under that umbrella. So, mm -hmm. and I mean, part of Leighton's goal, I think is to have what he thinks should be the theological view of the Southern Baptist convention. Okay. So he wants all Southern Baptists to be able to come in under provide and to move out of Calvinism. And so I think he wants it to be open so that if there are annihilationists in the SBC, they yeah. can still be like, yeah, late. And I'll be, I'll be on your team. Well, that's so, a think... noble effort. What he's trying to do with the SBC from what I understand and trying to pull a lot of them out of the reform views. Yeah. He's got a, he's got a tough road to climb, yes. uh, but he's, He's doing it. He's uh he's climbing it. He's being faithful. So I, awesome. I applaud him for that. Yeah. Uh and it's good for the whole church if the SBC can move out of Calvinism. Yes. So yes. Yeah. So what was the E? And then the E is the one that is the biggest bugaboo in my shoe. Um, this yeah. is this is the rock in my shoe, I should say, that I annoys me that isn't provide, and that yeah. is eternal security. And the reason okay. I say that is because I'm an eternal security guy. I'm uh -huh. a free grace. It's uh -huh. one of our this is one of our pillars. And Layton's an eternal security guy. But I would say, based on my interaction with provisionists, mm -hmm. I would guess as many as 75% of them don't believe in eternal security. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Is, I do At least with the discussion boards online, yeah. I find that eternal security, typically, if there's a debate about it, you're in the minority. So um, I appreciate that Leighton has eternal security and he's got mm -hmm. it in his provide, but it frustrates me a little bit that it's in the provide because you would assume then if you're like, oh, I want to be a provisionist, so I'm going to learn about this. You'd be like, oh, this is describing most provisionists. Mm -hmm. So most of them are eternal security when I don't think most of them are. So whereas um, the D in destroyed is somewhat vague, the E in eternal security is pretty specific and pointed, but yeah, people reject some people reject both yeah. of those if you will yeah and i think i think eternal security for provisionism mm -hmm. is what limited atonement is for calvinism oh okay yeah yeah, yeah. so you'll find lots of four-point calvinists yep. who reject mm -hmm. limited atonement and i think how many letters are there in provide seven mm -hmm. so i think you'll find lots of six-point providism provisionists provisionists i mean three-point calvinist six sounds better than a four-point provide <laughs> <laughs> i don't know so but. um so you know i so yeah i'm an internal security guy and yeah. i i thought that when i was going to join the provisionist discussion boards that i was going into a community that was predominantly eternal security right and i was a little like oh man i'm, I'm not a not the majority in this group yeah so uh yeah huh. so that's uh that's provisionism for you though so i, I think the okay. key thing when people want to understand what it is is that it's really two main points yeah and that is god provides the means of salvation for all so when he says whosoever will or as many as receive those are yeah. genuine offers mm -hmm. and that's the point of provisionism that they're genuine offers and if you reject them you're responsible for that rejection so that's right. the point so provides not a terrible acronym there's just a few points where i'm like yeah and it's not a flower that we've discovered at least i mean maybe there is in rainforest well they don't need a flower because they have latent flowers <laughs> <laughs> already have their flower taken care of 
Uh, I guess so. <laughs> Maybe that's what he was thinking of too. Layton's like they got me. I'm I'm all the flower they need. He <laughs> smells so delightful, and uh, uh, he doesn't need another one. I don't know. Yeah, I know there's other acronyms out there too, but that's gonna be it for the acronyms at least session. With with the exception of you have an acronym. I do, and it's not Snap. I'm telling you, Sean, you got to reconsider. Snapdragon is such a cool name and flower. And so you need to find some way to draw it out. But yours isn't a flower either, is it? No, no, no. So what? Um, what is your what is the word? What is the acronym? So my acronym's perfume. We're, perfume. we're sweet smelling like a flower. We want to be sweet smelling before the Lord. Oh, so OK. I, I like yeah. perfume. OK. Um, I like the word. Um, and for me, this is very much a descriptive, not a prescriptive acronym because I've been in free grace for about three years was when I had my, my baptism into thinking, I think this is the, the group that's closest to me. Oh, so you and got so, out of Calvinism just like three years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, as, yeah. No, yeah. No, I mean, I, I probably had a, a two year uh -huh. struggle um mm -hmm. of you know whether or not to be in it or not um and then probably three years of feeling like uh free grace is my group how much did you know free grace as a calvinist did you understand free grace at that time or so um so to get in just a little bit on my journey to free grace so yeah. um so i was i was like a four-point calvinist mm -hmm. limited um, atonement i assume Luminate Atonement was the one I didn't go for. Um, and I got hired by Free Grace Church to pastor it. So the church I pastor is a Free Grace Church. They knew you were a Calvinist? They knew. Yeah, no, I, I told them my beliefs and everything. Yeah. And so so, so, so a bunch of people did not want to hire me in the yeah. church. Right. Um, people left when I showed up. Uh, but the previous pastor who was Free Grace... Mm -hmm. went up to a bunch of other people in the church and they're like, if you hire him, he will end up getting it. I didn't know that he went, you know, and told yeah. people that without my knowledge. Huh. And then he left when he left the church, when he retired, he left behind a whole bunch of books by Zane Hodges and Charlie Bing and Jody Dillo and um, a few other people. Uh, and he's like, just read them at some point. And so after I'd been there for a year, I started reading them and that was, I started having my eyes open by then. Okay, yeah. And uh, do you, have you heard of the YouTube channel um, Beyond the Fundamentals? Yeah, Thompson. Yeah, so Kevin yeah. Thompson pastored a church mm -hmm. 10 minutes from mine at oh, that okay. time. So I met Kevin, discovered his YouTube channel because mm -hmm. I met him, watched some of his videos that were anti-Calvinism to make fun of them, and ended up yes. being like, he does. This dude makes some good points. He is smart. <laughs> And he's not afraid so, so to I, I poke was the bear. Fun of him at first, yeah, and then and then I started thinking he made some good points. Yeah, and then I was reading Hodges, and I kept having people in my church come up to me and be like, "What you're saying isn't making any sense." And so I, I felt like I was getting bombarded again yeah. and again and again. And finally, it was just like, and it was when I was reading a book, a, a Calvinist book on Luther, mm -hmm. and Luther's view on faith, and it had a, a section in there. It was a book by Schreiner about how Luther needed to guard against faith being a work. Mm -hmm. And that was why 
Luther created the Lutheran system he did around the gospel was mm. to prevent faith from being a work. And I'm like, this is stupid. Faith is not a work. Right. Yeah. Like he doesn't need to do it. And then that was like the whole thing fell down and yeah. I began the journey of free grace. So that's a, so yeah, so that was my, oh, okay. my journey into it. And so uh, at some point somebody was asking about free grace acronyms, like, and like, we need to have one. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of took a step back and, and looked at, you know, what mm-hmm. I felt like everybody in the group was saying. And I was like, these are the points I think we need to have and made a word with it. And it just turned into perfume. Like I was on one of those word generators online and I was just putting letters in Yeah, and I was seeing what words would fit with those letters and uh, <laughs> perfume just ended up making sense. Okay. So. Let's hear it. What does it stand for? Okay. P P is uh, you can be one of two, uh, like total depravity, total inability. Okay. Um, but pre-millennial mm-hmm. or it could be physical eternity physical eternity physical eternity okay so i think it's huge that we will not spend eternity in heaven and we will instead spend eternity on earth mm-hmm. we will rule and reign with christ on earth mm-hmm. i think all of the understanding we have about reward and about um closeness to christ in eternity and about how we live in eternity it all makes sense if you're premillennial and have a physical eternity, yeah. if your eternity is just spiritual in heaven, yeah, sure. God can make some way that we can all be perfectly equal and equitable and all mm. have the same spiritual access to him and everything. But mm. if you're living in a physical earth and Jesus has a physical body and he's living in a physical city and you're living in physical realms that need to produce food and have an economy and everything that goes with it. Yeah. To me, the whole system with reward fits perfect in that system. Yeah. So if you understand a physical eternity, like if your view, if your hope for eternity is I'm going to be with Christ when I die, you have an amillennial, post-millennial view of eternity. And it's Mm -hmm. not based in this world. It's not based in reality. But if you have the biblical hope of not, I'm going to be with Christ in heaven when I die, Mm -hmm. but I'm hoping for Christ to come and reign on this earth. Mm-hmm. And that also opens up the whole, everything else in the system. So I think a, a physical eternity is, is huge. And I also think that that is a cornerstone that brings you to a, a proper interpretation of the Bible, a historical grammatical interpretation. Right. Because if you have, if you have that type of inter- interpretation, in my opinion, you're going to end up being pre-mill. You're going to end up yeah. having a physical eternity. And because you, you're not going to allegorize it all away. Right. So that'll also lead to a right interpretation of the Bible. And then we also, you, know, you mentioned food and stuff like that and production. Uh, we read, and I think it's Revelation 21, maybe beginning at 22, where there's one Jewish feast that we're going to be keeping the new heaven and new earth. And it's the Feast of Tabernacles that all the nations are going to go up there and the tree is going to go ahead and bear its fruit, you know, for each of the months. <clears throat> And so there's still a fruit production. There's still, it seems like national identity as well. I totally Uh, believe in national identity. Yeah. And so you get these physical aspects that's after the messianic kingdom. And so, yeah, I'd totally agree with you on that aspect. You know, there's a physical eternity as opposed to some spiritualized allegorical understanding. So, yeah. So one, I think we all have a premillennial physical eternity view. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two is eternal security. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the E. So, so perfume, P-E, uh, eternal security. Um, I have not met a free gracer that 
denies eternal security. Um, you know, John, Jesus in John 5, 24 says, he who believes in me, they will have eternal life and they will not come into judgment. So it's mm -hmm. the idea we'll believe we get eternal life and we don't pass into judgment. I think that's universal. Uh, the idea that faith results in uh, security with, mm -hmm. with Christ. And yeah. so, um, so yeah, we reject perseverance of the saints. We reject, I forgot it already. Uh, oh yeah. That's yielded, that why, wasn't it? Yielded justification. We reject <laughs> yielded justification. We reject both of those. Man, you, you um, just prophesied are, earlier that we were going to forget it. <laughs> and I already did already did. Oh man. So, so yeah, so we reject both of those. And I, I think eternal security is by and large what is probably the most defining characteristic actually of free grace. Because yeah. when we discuss what it means that grace is free, what it means that faith is alone, typically we end up going to, it means we're eternally secure. Yeah. So eternal okay. security, number two. Uh, so P-E-R for my perfume, R is reward. We will be given differing levels of reward. Uh, we'll be given reward in eternity. Now, you can have all types of different discussions about what the rewards will look like, you know, and what will it involve. And I don't I don't need to get into those and what we'll be rewarded for and, and if there'll be penalties for people based upon sin or, you know, who knows with that. But in some way, God will reward us and those rewards will be, how do I want to put this? Um, they'll be fair. Mm -hmm. They'll be gracious. So not only they'll be fair because they'll be right, they'll be beyond what we deserve. So we'll say God gave me a fair reward and it'll be beyond what I deserve. But mm -hmm. then they also won't be the same. We'll get different reward depending on, on what we've done. I'm If I don't die as a martyr, I will not get the martyr's crown. Right. And I'm okay with that. I'm not going to mm -hmm. be envious of those martyrs. Instead, I'm going to be super excited for them that they got that crown. Right. And I'm going to want to talk to every one of those mar martyrs at some point in history, wanting to hear their story. And instead of yeah. sulking that I didn't get the crown. Yeah. So I don't know why rewards needs people to think that'll lead to envy and jealousy. I think it'll just be exciting. I don't... Different people got different things. Yeah, it's the nature would be extinguished okay, so, as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, P-E-R-F uh, for... And then F is the, I think, one of the obvious ones for uh, uh, the free grace movement. And that is not free grace, but faith alone, yeah. uh, that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And so uh, this is just the idea that it is of faith and not of works. Mm -hmm. and, and to me, that's the key differentiator between us and other groups. Because if you look at... You know, it's easy to pick on MacArthur just because he's written so much. But um, right. like when MacArthur and Piper's the same way, when they define grace, mm -hmm. they bake so many works into it. Yeah. Like they say, I'm faith alone, but then they'll say faith is submission. Faith is commitment. I mean, Piper says faith is emotional, you know, attachment to God. So unless you have this, this longing of yeah. emotion for God, you don't have real faith. And to me, that even gets into that. That's super dangerous. Like, yeah, if I, yeah. If I don't have the right emotions right now about God because of my current circumstance, that means I don't have faith anymore and I've lost right. it. I'm at jeopardy of not getting final justification. I mean, that's what he believes, though. Right. So, so they bake works into faith. 
And by mm -hmm. saying faith alone, the importance of it is we're really clinging to Roman, the end of Romans 3. And we're saying, however we define faith in the free grace community. Mm -hmm. And we have some, some discussions in the free grace community about what faith means and what it doesn't. Like you have the right. GES wing that faith is simple persuasion. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have like the Duluth Bible Church wing that is more faith is believing all of Christ's completed work, um, believing what Christ offers you. Like they'll put a bunch more in faith. Right. rather than the GES is simple persuasion. But at the same time, what both groups will agree in, we're not baking any works into the cake. Right. It's not submission. It's not commitment. It's just, it's just faith. Right. And to be honest, this is what I found the most attractive about free grace mm -hmm. when I initially came into it was faith without works baked into it. Because that was the one thing, like I, I loved MacArthur before. Mm-hmm. Like I came to free grace because I think maybe because you're supposed to love MacArthur. Um, so like I'd read, you know, like a dozen of his books and went through yeah. all of his commentaries. But one thing that always bothered me about MacArthur was I was like, you are adding stuff into faith that shouldn't be there. And yeah. like, I was willing to just overlook it because he was on my team. But once I was able to go to a different team, so to speak, that had this simple faith, that's just faith. I was like, right. oh, this is wonderful. I love yeah. this. So faith alone, no works baked in. Okay. Uh, so perfume, P-E-R-F-U, and the U is unlimited atonement. Uh, this is the same idea as the uh, the open door, the vicarious atonement of provide. Uh, you know, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, Jesus died for all. I actually have a view that, uh, and this is similar to the GES view of atonement, that I believe the atonement did accomplish things for every person who ever died. Okay. Yeah. Like I believe that the, you, have you seen the drawing uh, that they have of heavens on one side and there's a whole bunch of people on the other side and there's a big gulf that obviously is hell mm -hmm. and the cross is bridging cross, it. Yeah. And so you got to walk across a cross to get that. Right. So I believe that's how the atonement works. And that is Jesus gave the atonement for everyone. Right. But you only get the benefits of the atonement until you believe. And so right. the cross is effective for you to provide that way to get to Christ. The mm -hmm. question is, are you going to actually walk across the cross to be saved? So right. I, th I think and there's an aspect in that, which is he legitimately died for every person. Mm -hmm. Like even the worst unbeliever, the worst sinner, the most vile person, Jesus gave them the gift of an open path to heaven. Yeah, And all they had to do was believe in him to receive it. And what a tragedy that Jesus gave them that gift. And they were like, no, yeah. no, I'm not, I'm not going. Yeah. And it's even simpler than walking across the bridge because it's just belief. Right. And they were like, no, we're not doing no. it. So unlimited atonement, he did die for everyone. It's just, you get the full benefit when you believe. The next one uh -huh. is probably the worst one. Okay. okay, let's hear it. I'm going to say this right now. This is the one I'm the least happy with. And this is the one where I'm going to knock it and say it's not as good as Tulip just because of this one. Okay. Because of this one. <laughs> because of this one. This, this, is, this is the one. Um, but but I it, it, it has what I believe we should have. It just I can't think of a better one. Uh -huh. Okay. Okay. So, so the M of perfume is made in God's image. So made in God's image. Okay. So this is the idea that we maintain dignity as people made in God's image, even after the fall. 
So I think, in my opinion, total depravity uh-huh. takes away our dignity of being made in God's image. It turns right. us into vipers and diapers. It turns us into people who everything we do is wrong. I mean, think mm-hmm. about how crazy it is that the Calvinists believe that. Everything the unbeliever does is wrong. Mm-hmm. That's I just I can't I can't go with that. Yeah. I can't I can't walk down that bridge because I want the unbelieving dad to raise his kids in responsibility. Mm-hmm. And if he's at home, if he's educating his kids, if mm-hmm. he's teaching them principles of stewardship, if he's helping them to be a productive member of society, that is a good thing. And I believe that's a good thing in God's eyes. It's obviously a much worse thing if the father abandons his family. Right. So I think we're all made in God's image. We can all do good, mm-hmm. but none of us do enough good to be saved because right. we all sin. We all fall short. We all, yeah. you know, but we're not depraved in everything that we do. So this is a denial of original guilt um, that we're all guilty in Adam's sin. I think we're all guilty because of our own sin and not Adam's sin. Okay. I mean, it's interesting. The Bible talks probably 10,000 times about how people are guilty because of their sin. Right. We have one chapter in Romans 5 that talks about Adam's sin. And Adam of which, yeah. which then makes me say, maybe we are guilty because of our sin and maybe we're reading Romans five wrong. Mm-hmm. If all the other passages and all of the Bible says we're guilty because of what we do. So, so, uh, would it be fair to say a denial of original sin in the sin nature, or is it more just you're culpable I ta- for I, your I own? Take the weekend prof- yeah. I take the weekend. We have a propensity to sin, mm-hmm. but we don't need to sin at any occasion. Like anybody is capable every time we're put a choice before us to do good or to do evil, any person could choose either one of those. Now, at the same time, the more we choose evil, the Bible also tells us the more we'll harden our heart, the more we'll become depraved and the more likely every time we sin, we will be more likely to sin the next time. I know it's just amazing when you think of kids, you know, and the whole life, lifers and diapers (laughs) aspect is, uh, it's amazing that you don't have to teach a kid to be hateful. You don't have to no. teach a kid to lie, you know, and, and w- would that be, would you see that as learned behavior or would you see that as that propensity in their choice? I see it as pro- both. Yeah. It's both. It's the propensity and it's learned. Yeah. Um, and then you have the other opposite with kids too, which makes kids such interesting examples for this. Like you will have a kid who will come up to somebody that they don't even know. Like there's this, there's this cute little girl who's been brought to our church a bunch of times mm-hmm. by her grandfather. And she came to church one Sunday and mm-hmm. she showed me her wallet. And she was so <laughs> excited because she just got yeah. this little, I think it was like a strawberry shortcake wallet or something. And she pulls <laughs> it open and she's like, I have $2. <laughs> And then she offered to give them to me. Oh, it was so sweet. Like, yeah. oh man, it broke my heart. Um, yeah. How many adults would offer to give someone their last $2? Yeah, no, I don't carry cash. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're not going to, no, we're not going to be like, I only got $2. Yeah. I'm going to give it to somebody else. Cause we get yeah. hardened in our sin. Yeah. So I think children are probably more likely to be selfish and more likely to be giving at the same time. So did you buy a soda with that money? Oh, I, 
did not take it from her. How would you even suggest such a thing? Trying to defame me on YouTube. <laughs> You're going to put yeah. a clip of just that section and stop it, right? When you say the thing about giving the sun. You know, I had to ask that question. <laughs> All right, so perfume, made of God's image. What's the E? <laughs> so again, although I do think that's pretty universal, I think overall, okay. I don't think that free grace people are total depravity original guilt type people mm -hmm. um there could be some more i haven't run across many but this uh -huh. is my the people i've talked to i think yeah. fall under that view so uh and then e is earnest grace uh earnest also means sincere um it's not the guy who saved christmas uh -huh. um so <laughs> earnest grace and this just means we're sincere about it being grace mm -hmm. we're not going to backload the gospel with works it's not grace as long as you continue to work really hard. Yeah. Uh, as uh, Dom says, as Dominic says, I love his phrase. It is uh, it is grace without gimmicks. Um, yeah. So it's just it's giving out grace freely. So it's sincerely grace. Yeah. And I like this as a contrast to, while I have a lot of respect for him, I don't like that he coined this term, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, mm. uh, but his term cheap grace, that's it's my least favorite term in modern yeah. Christianity. Right. Um, because one, it's it's an insult on the grace of Jesus Christ. Someone, the way someone receives a gift does not impact the value of that gift. Mm -hmm. Like if I gave you a thousand dollars and you went and tossed it out the window, mm -hmm. well, you're tossing the thousand dollars out the window, but it's still a thousand dollars. It still right. has that value to it. And so saying it's cheap grace is actually diminishing the value of the gift, which yeah. is not good. So I'd rather have earnest grace, sincere grace, grace that it is, it's really a gift. Like mm -hmm. Jesus is really giving yeah. it to you because, I mean, one of my favorite hymns is, is Jesus paid it all. Yeah. Cause I just, I just love singing that he, he paid it all. Like he, he paid the full price. And I also love following it with all to him. I owe Yeah. because I don't owe it to him in order to keep the grace, in order to maintain the grace. I owe it to him because he's worthy, because he's loving, because I love him, because it's just the righteous thing to do. But yeah. it's the idea Jesus paid it all, and so I don't need to pray for any of the grace. So there's my perfume. I think we're pre-mill. We believe in eternal security. We believe in the doctrinal reward. We believe in faith alone. We believe in unlimited atonement. We still believe God, our men are made in God's image. And we believe in earnest grace. Yeah. So okay. How'd so I do? How'd you... well, it's not Snapdragon. I mean, so I just put out, it's not Snapdragon. Uh, I, I like it. I'd like to talk, you know, not now, you know, not discussion for another time, you know, the concept of the whole original sense and nature, you know, that that's intriguing you know yeah. and so uh think I, I love the acronym and yeah i mean i don't know if it's going to compete with tulip yet but that's because we need to come up with a cool logo and design for perfume tulip doesn't have a cool logo and i know but everything is about branding right that's true that's true images are are burned into the brain and if we want to overcome tulip's popularity we could take perfume and you just, we need to figure out how to design it, brand it, you know? What are your thoughts? I mean, maybe I should go on to Adobe when we're done and make something up. And <laughs> Chanel uh, number nine. Yeah. So, no, but uh, I I like it. It's very clear. And, and like you said, uh, most all of those, if most all of those are uh, 
universally accepted within, you know, free grace theology. And I do know some free grace folks that do hold to original sin. Well, like know? I said, the M is the M is my least favorite one, both because yeah. I'm not a huge fan of made in God's image. Uh-huh. And I know that there are people in the group that hold to original sin. Yeah. So. But I don't think that's a showstopper whatsoever. But the emphasis is definitely on faith alone, Christ alone, and, and the grace and the unlimited atonement. And so, no, I, I think it's fabulous that you know, you were able to go ahead and develop an acronym uh, to go ahead and show alternatives. I'm tired of the false dichotomy that's out there <laughs> that you're either Arminianist or Calvinist. And and then you have to explain, no, free, you got to explain everything. And so yeah. having an acronym like this definitely would help people understand uh, really the pillars, if you will, that free grace is upheld by. I got to at least, least ask this and, and just be brutally honest with me. Is it better than Daisy? <laughs> well, Daisy's closer to a Snapdragon. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> no, Daisy is, I mean, I, I, I got to, I try to keep all my interviews nice and cordial and friendly, but, <laughs> but with Daisy, I mean, I think the petals have wilted. They fall in. It's time to sweep it up and toss <laughs> it out. Uh, at least, you know, I'll help some of the free will guys over there in their Baptist churches to, you know, find a better acronym, better words, words that mean th- something that are substantive. But uh, yeah, but no, it's definitely better than Daisy. <laughs> and I think with a proper design that it could go ahead and rival Tulip as well. So, well, I, just, I, I think I think I need to work on the M, though, if, if we could, if we could find somebody to come up with a a better M than even, even if it was the same concept, just something better than made in God's image. Okay. Um, Cause I don't think that expresses what it is enough, but well, I just lost me at M. So no, yeah. yeah. And there's always going to be something. That's why you just throw in a number, you know, just make up a word, you know, just, <laughs> just put a number in there make it like a password. I don't know, be something different, but no, I love it, man. I, I do love it. Uh, one of the last questions I have is this question's really for me uh pelagianism and semi-pelagianism uh from what i understand very briefly i haven't had a whole lot of time to really dissect it it seems like semi-pelagianism doesn't seem too far removed from biblical doctrine what what are the two and what what's the deal with it i mean so many people are against pelagianism or semi can you explain help me understand what i should accept what i should reject Okay, so we we might be going into the weeds here. Um, okay, just just a warning. I've I've read Pelagius's commentary on Romans, mm-hmm. so I've read Pelagius's longest work, and I've also read Ali Bonner's uh, Oxford thesis, the myth of Pelagianism. Okay, so she wrote a she wrote a big Oxford thesis on Pelagianism. Yeah, and I read that too. So I so I've I dug into Pelagianism a little bit. So here's my view on Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism. They're not real. They are a myth. Okay. They are they were create. I think Allie's right there. Myth. They were created as a smear tactic. I so don't believe the, there's there's the ever been a single saying, person in church history yeah. who's held to Pelagianism. Okay, so the teaching as a whole is made up after the fact, is what. Okay. Yeah. So here, so I'll, okay. I'll go over what it is, uh-huh. and then after I do, you'll be able to see what I mean by this. So okay. Pelagianism yeah, yeah. was developed. Uh, by Augustine as okay. saying, this is what Pelagian believed. But then I'll give a quote that Augustine has after this to see how honest he is about what Pelagian believed. 
Okay. So there's, if you're technically, if you're a Pelagian, there are 14 points oh, wow. of what makes someone a Pelagian. Okay. So that's a long One, acronym. Yeah. That's yeah, Snapdragon. Yeah. This, this could fit Snapdragon. It's probably got <laughs> enough letters. So number one, Adam was created mortal and Adam was going to die whether he sinned or not. So that's the first point. Oh. Second, the sin of Adam harmed him alone and no one else. So every person who is born is born in the same state as Adam and Eve. Oh. Third, the law, obedience to the law can get someone to heaven in the same way the gospel can. So there's two roads to heaven. One's the law and one's gospel. Uh, fourth uh, is what I already said with number two. Newborn infants are in the same state as Adam before his transgression. So um, Adam's sin only affected him, and that's sort of seen in two points. Uh, number five, uh, the whole human race did not die through the death of Adam or the transgression of Adam, and the whole human race does not rise through the resurrection of Christ. Uh, Augustine had a and Pelagius have, had a belief. I think this one's kind of in line actually with what he believes. I might disagree with Bonner on this, uh -huh. um, that you become a sinner once you sin, and you become a Christian once you believe in Christ. So until you sin, you're not a sinner. Until you believe in Christ, you're not a Christian. Okay. So he believed that that protected from universalism. Mm -hmm. uh, number six, um, infants possess eternal life at birth. If you die as an infant, you have eternal life. Okay. So Augustine and some others taught that uh, baptism was needed to erase uh, original Earth. guilt. Right. And so Augustine, and so the belief was Pelagius believed they had eternal life at birth and somehow lost it when they sinned. Uh, number seven was, if you want to be saved and you're wealthy, you need to give up all your possessions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> number eight, uh, God's grace and help is not given for individual actions. So God doesn't give grace so that you can obey. Instead, God gives grace as a result of your response to his teaching. Hmm. So Augustine, grace comes before the obedience. Augustine, Pelagius, grace is after the obedience. Hmm. Number nine, uh, God's grace is given in accordance with our merits. So the more we do good, the more grace God gives to us. Hmm. So uh, the more you have the will to follow God, the more grace you get. Hmm. Number 10, um, only, the only people who can be called children of God are those who have made it to the place in their life where they no longer sin. Huh. Well, so children that's... of God is a title for people who have stopped sinning. So sorry, brother. You are not Hey, a you don't know my life. I don't life. even know you and I can say it. <laughs> Number 11, uh, forgetfulness and ignorance are not sinful. You only sin if you do wrong willfully. So sins hmm. done in ignorance are not sin. Number 12, a choice is not free if it needs God's help. So if you need grace in order to obey, you don't have freedom. You only have freedom if you can obey without God's influence. Okay. Hmm. Number 13, our victory is not a result of God's grace, but our own free will. So our victory for salvation is because of our own free will. And number 14, um, when Peter says in second Peter one, four, we are shares of the divine nature. It means that people can be sinless like God. Mm. So those are the 14 points of Pelagius. Yeah. Now, Augustine in the document that he was setting forth these points also wrote this. So Augustine says this about Pelagianism. It may be doubtful 
or unclear whether Pelagius or any of his followers or none of his followers or some of his followers in his name or in their own name held or still hold to such propositions. It has nonetheless been made quite clear by this court that these things were condemned and that Pelagius would have been condemned at the same time if he had not condemned himself. Now, after this judgment, when we argue against the opinions of this sort, we are certainly arguing against a condemned heresy. So Pelagius then says, I don't know if you caught that right. He's saying, uh, Augustine says, I don't know if Pelagius holds to all these. <laughs> yeah. I don't have evidence that Pelagius believes any of these. And so Bonner goes through her right, goes through Pelagius writings that we have yeah. and says, where can we find Pelagius agreeing with these? Mm -hmm. And the only one that we can find agreement with Pelagius on out of all 14 of those, there's only one he agrees with explicitly. Yeah. And that is God will give grace to people in response to their obedience. Mm. So, and this is just the idea of someone obeys and they find favor with God. Okay. Those lines in the Bible. Okay. So Pelagius is like, obviously people obey, they find favor with God. So God yeah. gives them grace because they did what was right in his eyes. He's like, so God, and I, I think I, to me, I think that follows the doctrine of reward. That yeah. God will reward us with grace right. if we obey him. So I don't yeah. see anything wrong with that teaching by Pelagius in context either, but yeah. all the other 13 points Mm -hmm. either we have no written documents of Pelagius talking about them. Mm -hmm. And you notice some of them are rather narrow and specific. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, or, and I think 12 of them, 12 out of the 14, we have specific statements of Pelagius denying them. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is like him simply saying, you know, Adam would have lived if he had not eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like we have Pelagius saying that. Right. We have Pelagius saying that we are corrupted, or I don't remember the specific way he words it, mm -hmm. um, but we are in some way diminished because of Adam's sin. But we're all sinners because we sin, not because Adam's sin. Right. So Ali Bonner says Pelagianism is a myth because, because Augustine was specific. Augustine said, here are the 14 points that make someone a Pelagian. He mm -hmm. made it clear. Yeah. We have no evidence that any person in history ever believed those 14. Any, any, uh, any idea on what the motivation would be by Augustine? That's tough. Um, mm -hmm. And then you're, then you're playing into people's motivations and it's difficult. Uh, yeah. There's two most common theories. Okay. One is Pelagius. Well, they're both based in the, in the fact of where Pelagius is from. Pelagius okay. is Britain. Um, Pelagius's commentary on Romans is actually the first known work written from England. It's the oldest known work we know of from Britain. Wow. Is Pelagius's okay. commentary on Romans. That's actually why Ali Bonner, an Oxford scholar, wrote on Pelagius mm -hmm. because she's studying the English language right. and she's studying the oldest English work, which then leads her to Pelagius, which then leads her to say. The church calls this guy a heretic, but what I'm reading isn't in contradiction to church teaching. Right. So then she does the deep dive. Okay. Um, so anyway, so they're both tied to, to Pelagius being Britain. Mm -hmm. So one theory is Pelagius comes from Britain down to Rome, and he's aghast at the lifestyle of people in Rome. Mm -hmm. Like he's like, I can't believe these people are as sinful as they are. Yeah. And basically comes down condemning people for their sinful lifestyles. 
mm-hmm. because Pelagius was also an ascetic. So okay. that means yeah. he, he avoided meat, he lived in poverty, you know, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So he had those views. So he comes into Rome and he's like, these people are living terrible. So one theory is that he was condemning Augustine's lifestyle mm-hmm. and Augustine in turn created a way to attack Pelagius. Oh, wow. Now we don't have any evidence of that. That's right, just, yeah. that's a theory. Yeah. The other one, which is also a theory we don't have evidence for right. is that at this point in Augustine's life, he transitions into determinism in his faith. Mm-hmm. And this is this is this is Bonner's theory, is that this is the point where he reverts back to his old Manichaeist determinism mm-hmm. that only the elect are saved by God, which is a Gnostic view. Yeah. Um, Gnostics also believe you don't need faith in order to be saved because it's just fate. And if you have the right faith, then you're saved by the gods. But if you have the wrong fate then you can't be safe. So they don't like the idea of belief equaling to salvation. Okay. So this is later in life, Augustine reverts back to his deterministic views. But in order to get other people to go around along with him, he needs to create a boogeyman to attack, Mm. to say, if you don't follow these views that I have, you'll end up being like those people. Yeah. And since Pelagius was from Britain, since he wasn't a local He was just an easy target. He was just somebody that you could say, he's not one of us. He's a kook and let's dismiss him. Like here's the other interesting thing about Pelagius's writings is that throughout the middle ages, um, we actually have lots of manuscripts of Pelagius's writings. He was really popular, but here's the intriguing thing. Throughout the entire middle ages, if someone found a Pelagius document and it didn't have his name on it. So it had was unauthored. It was just his writing, but they didn't know who wrote it. They always put it under the name of Jerome mm. because okay. his writings were so similar, similar to Jerome's. Yeah. They thought it was something Jerome wrote. Mm. Jerome ends up going along with Augustine and also condemning Pelagius, even though Pelagius's own writings are so close to Jerome uh, that yeah. Jerome, <laughs> yeah, his writings are mistaken for Jerome. So the idea is Augustine's trying to bring this deterministic view into the church. And he knows that he can't just, you know, get people to go along immediately. He needs to create a boogeyman to say, if you don't go along with me, it means you're in his camp. And Pelagius was an easy target because he was from Britain. Oh, wow. Those are the two theories. We have zero evidence for both of them, I gotta say. Yeah. They're just, it's just sitting there and saying, why would he do this? Yeah. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Especially when you have Augustine himself saying, I don't have any evidence. I don't know for sure that Pelagius or his followers believed any of this, Yeah, but we're going to condemn it for him anyway. Wow. So whole misrepresentation uh, aspect going all the way back to what? Fifth century, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ooh. So, so yeah. So then, so, so rarely are people called Pelagian today. And nobody should be called Pelagian. Mm-hmm. If you knew what Pelagianism is, you'd never call anybody that because you'd have to be like, does that person believe you need to give up all your wealth in order to be saved? Like you would need to know all these ridiculous things. Yeah. So they end up creating the term semi-Pelagian. Uh-huh. And um, I got a video on my YouTube channel. Um, actually, I think I have it scheduled to go up in a week or so. Um, okay. But it's going to be by David Allen. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and Dr. David Allen, he does sort of a history of the term semi-Pelagian. Okay. So he'll have all the details in there about that. Um, but basically semi-Pelagian came up hundreds of years later as a way to smear people who weren't of the Augustine Calvinism line Hmm. to say, if you don't take our deterministic view, you're a semi-Pelagian. You don't have all the Pelagian views. You just have a few. And today in 21st century America, semi-Pelagian simply means you believe that you need to have faith before regeneration. Mm -hmm. Hmm. If you believe that faith comes before regeneration and an unbeliever can believe, then you're a semi-Pelagian. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And then, I mean, people should just be like, all right, I'm a semi-Pelagian. And that's what my hangup was, because when I'm reading about what people are throwing away, throwing around semi-Pelagianism, I'm like, it doesn't seem like it steers too far from what my beliefs are in the Bible, but yet everybody has a problem with Plagianism, semi-plagianism, any plagianism. It's crazy. And so I was cautious, but like, okay, what does this label actually mean? And so I appreciate your dissertation on that. And uh, I do look forward to uh, <laughs> that next video you said coming up. So I will be checking that out. Uh, I do have one more question. I'm going to let you go because uh, you got another interview today. And so I want to go ahead when that one's done as well. I want to link it to this. Because anybody that's watching this video right here with Sean and Rev Reads, uh, go ahead and check out the link in the description below as far as the interview he's doing with Chris, right? Chris Morrison yeah, uh, Chris later Morrison, yeah. later tonight and check out more stuff as far as this concerned. But with Rev Reads and the fact that I'm going to call you Johnny Five, you know, have you ever seen Short Circuit? <laughs> I know. I know what you're talking need about. Need input, need input. And you are just a reading <laughs> machine. Out of all those 150 book reviews you've done, I think it was about 150 or whatnot that you had mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just real quickly, briefly, what would be your top five? So I'll 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 limit it to my top five free grace books since we're talking about uh, okay. that topic. I, yeah. I I don't think I could do a top five in general because I, I don't think i could compare all the different categories and okay yeah and put them all together so 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 i'm gonna limit it to my top five uh top five free grace books so my favorite free grace book is charlie bing's grace salvation discipleship mm. uh i love that book i think it's a great read it's an easy read i think everybody should read it in the group um i just the way he goes through each of those passages and just asks what they're about salvation or discipleship yeah great book to me that's that's number one uh and if someone's going to question your free grace and say what about this passage what about this passage what about this passage uh bing covers them all so it's great for like free grace apologetics too so So it's a good um, reference book huh yeah it's it's a wonderful reference yeah so bing's grace salvation discipleship the second book that I got to say is to me, I'm the most emotionally attached to this book because this is the one that really I felt how totally pushed me over to being free grace. And that Zane Hodge is absolutely free. Oh, yeah. Uh, to me, that is the, the it should be considered the granddaddy free grace book. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the one that, you know, we look at as like the Calvinists have their institutes uh by calvin um ours would be hodges uh absolutely free uh great book i love it um you know just wonderful throughout yeah uh my third 
would be Faith Alone by Bob Wilkin. Okay, yeah. Uh, and the reason I picked Faith Alone by Bob Wilkin is that I just think it's overwhelming when you take all of those <laughs> Faith Alone books, Faith Alone verses, excuse me, and you just put them one after the other, after the other, after the other. So it's just a hundred super short chapters yeah. that are just saying, here's a Faith Alone verse. Here's how it shows that we're saved by faith alone. And for people, and, and it blows me away. I have people, other Christians who will be like, the Bible doesn't ever actually say we're only saved by faith. When there's a hundred verses that talk about salvation and faith yeah. is the only requirement. Yes. And the fact that Bob brought them all into one book mm -hmm. and just simply calls it faith alone. Yeah. Um, to me, it's it's a gift and it's it's important. And I know that Bob is controversial by a lot of people. Um, free grace circles and out of free grace, but 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 that book, to my opinion, should be what he's remembered for, and that should be the one book that everybody yeah. in the community uses as a resource. Yeah, no, that's a great book. Yeah, definitely. Fourth book is The Reign of the Servant Kings by Dillo. Yes, uh, he's got a newer edition that's longer, Eternal Destiny. What I've seen between the two editions, I haven't fully read through all of Eternal Destiny with the updated. I think I like the original Reign of Servant Kings better based on yeah. what I've seen in changes. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a big book. And uh, it, yes, it is. Not, it's not there for everybody. But if you're willing to get into the weeds of everything that's free grace, yes, uh, that's the book to me to get into the weeds. Yeah, that's so a great book on rewards know. too. Yeah. So to me, it's I like that one in my top five because I think it's it's large, comprehensive, covers a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, a uh, great book on reward. So Reign of Servant Kings by Dillo, and I gotta have an asterisk on this last one. Uh oh, With all the books I've read on Free Grace, I got a lot. The book I'm currently reading, I enjoy it so much that even though I'm eighty percent of the way through, mm -hmm. it's still gonna be in my top five. Oh wow, I haven't finished it. <laughs> And I like it that much. Yeah. And what surprises me is I'm reading this only because I am placating Ken McClure. So Ken, who you just interviewed, <laughs> I only read it for Ken. I didn't want to read it. I didn't have any expectation of this being that good. Yeah. But it is that good. And it's that basic and it's that simple. And that's yeah. why I thought I might not like it. But the uh -huh. book is Eternal Security by Charles Stanley. Oh, yeah. Yep. I am loving that book so much. Yeah. I didn't see it coming, <laughs> but it is so good. Like there are, there are just a bunch of places where I'm just like, oh man, that's, that's like one <laughs> of the chapters is on the importance of physical eternity. Yeah. And how the doctrine of reward fits if you have a physical eternity yep. and not a spiritual one in heaven. Like that's one of the chapters in the book. And yeah. I'm like, how do you not get a better free grace book than that? Like he's bringing out all the perfume points <laughs> yep. right in eternal security. And so, exactly. uh, so I'm almost done with it. I got uh -huh. just a couple of chapters left, but it's so good. Like it's gotta be in my top five. Like it's that good. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I really appreciate Charles Stanley. I, I like listening to him when I first got saved. He was one of the preachers yeah. that I've really followed and really affected me as far as trying to learn what does it mean to live Christian life well. So awesome. Well, I appreciate the time, uh, Sean. Uh, is there any last minute words you want to share with anybody that's still watching? And, uh, and we'll button this up. 
I mean, I applaud anybody if they're still watching, because I'm assuming we've gone well over an hour. Um, and I appreciate you letting me just go on and on and on. Uh, that's been, uh, you know, I feel like I've droned a lot, uh, but no, it's, it's been great. And I love your C4C apologetics. I want to make sure I say that. So um, if somebody's new to your channel, because uh, they're watching this interview, I hope they, they subscribe to your channel as well, because I, uh, I like watching your stuff, especially that last interview with Ken. Uh, that one was a little over an hour and I was there beginning yep. to end whole time. Uh, loved that interview. So, uh, so keep up the good work and what you're doing and I'll keep up what I'm doing and, uh, we'll continue to try to put the message of grace out there. I, I think yeah. YouTube is really the, the future of media. I think more yeah. people watch YouTube than everything else combined for media. Yeah. And so I think we got to be on here. And so, yeah. uh, I appreciate you doing work to be on here. So thanks Definitely. a lot. Definitely. I appreciate those kind words. I know uh, with these interviews and all the longer C4C apologetic videos, they are also going to be making on the way to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher, everything else in between. And so if you don't want to have the video running, you want to go ahead and put it in your ears and just fall asleep. Uh, you can find our interviews all the way over there as well. Otherwise, appreciate your time, Sean. Reveries, we'll have links to the descriptions below as far as all the top, the top five books you had and uh, any other links that are relevant to this interview so you can check it out. And then let us know in the comments below what you think is Sean's perfume acronym. Uh, see if there's a way you can convert it into Snapdragon uh, or maybe you have a design <laughs> for it too or help him out. What is the M, the M in the perfume uh, made in God's image or something else? Uh, but uh, I appreciate you, Sean. Uh, Sean. And until next time, God bless.